This is Thursday, March 25th, and we're continuing our trek and our journey here to a higher Christian life so we can learn how to embrace the Holy Spirit in a way as never before and surrendering our life to him to allow him to live his life through us. It is the definition of the abundant life in Christ, and it is the life we're striving for, the higher Christian life, to live more like him as he lives in us to the fullest. I'm excited about sharing a few words with you today, so uh, let's go ahead and get started. If you remember, in a previous podcast, we introduced the idea that the most important thing that we can live for is not the applause of man or for our own needs or gratification or wants or whatever we want, like self-actualization or fame or money or even nobler pursuits such as marrying a good woman and getting a nice house on Elm Street and having 2.2 kids and working really hard and retiring and being faithful in church and even all those good things that we can't devote our life to things that are simply good, that the true essence of Christianity is to devote our life to the things that is the best. And what is the best for us was also the best for Christ. If you remember what we discussed a couple days ago, he lived his life for the words of affirmation from his father, This is my son and whom I am well pleased. And our single desire in our life should be like those of Jesus, who said in John 8, 29, I always do those things that please him. To embrace the higher Christian life is to make this the aim and the ambition of your life. And as we've talked about before, it's a lot easier said than done. When we try to live our life for the pleasure of God, we find sometimes that we run around in circles, like getting lost in a cul-de-sac in our own neighborhood, not sure what direction we should go, when if we just rest and relax and abide and trust and let him live his life through us, that life is always pleasing to the Father. So, With all the voices in our head, with all the to-dos and shoulds and wants that we have in our life, how do we summarize all that and crystallize it into like a life mission statement? And I want to talk to you just briefly about that today, because that is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. And 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says this, therefore, we make it our aim our ambition, our purpose in life, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Irrespective of what happens in our life, that we make it our ambition, our aim, our purpose, our focus to be well-pleasing to the Lord, well-pleasing to the Father, to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, this verse begins with a therefore, and it focuses on this word of aim or ambition. But the best way for us to understand this admonition mission statement for our life is try to figure out exactly what this verse means. So let me just break it down for you quickly. 
First, the context of this verse is found in the first eight verses of this chapter. Paul is talking about the wonder of being in the presence of the Lord versus living our life here in this fallen world, in this earthly house. And he's talking about the fact that no matter what this world offers us, it's nothing compared to being in the presence of the Lord. Next, he assures us that this idea of heaven and being eternity focused is so much better than being earthly focused is something that God himself has prepared for us. And he's given us the Holy Spirit in verse number five as our guarantee of the truth of these statements and the fulfillment. After all, he says in verse seven, we walk by faith and not by sight. And finally, the word therefore relates primarily to the passage right before this one. We're reading 2 Corinthians 5, 9, which says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. But the therefore applies to verse 8, which I'm going to share with you in just a second. But to bring this all in context, let me go ahead and read the first eight verses. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, this temporary building is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Temporary tent, eternal house. Catch the imagery. For in this we groan about what? earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven, with our heavenly bodies and not this fallen earthly flesh. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, this temporary building, our earthly bodies groan. Why? Being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We don't want to die, but we want to live eternally, more further, fully clothed. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the spirit as a guarantee, the spirit that we're trying to get to know better the spirit that we're yielding ourselves to, that we're surrendering ourselves to, that we're presenting ourselves to as a living sacrifice to live through us is our guarantee of this promise. Verse six, so we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body in this tent, we are absent from the Lord for we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 8, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. This is what the therefore is appealing to, that we would rather, yes, it says, we're most confident, we would rather, well pleased by the fact that we could be with the Lord and not trapped in this earthly body because being with him is so much better than anything this world has. Therefore, verse 9, we make it our aim, our ambition, our focus, whether present or absent, 
whether in this life or in the life to come, on earth or in heaven, to be well-pleasing. And that word means acceptable, something that God wills and recognizes to him, to be well-pleasing to him. Why? Is it, is it just an innate good thing to do? Does it just make us feel better when it comes to telling people how much we love the Lord? Do we get some sort of innate gratification just living righteously because he is righteous? Or is there a payoff? Or is there a benefit? Or is there something a little deeper here that we're missing? Why am I choosing to make the aim of my life not me? The aim of my life, not what I can accomplish in the flesh, what buildings I can build or businesses I can create or money I can have or influence that I'll have on other people. My reputation and my memory and they'll remember me when I'm gone and all that kind of narcissistic stuff that drives a lot of people today. Why is my aim not focused here, but is focused on the higher Christian life? We make it our aim, whether here or there, whether alive or dead, whether on earth or in heaven, whether present or absent, to be acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Why? <laughs> Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I suggest you go back and look at the sermon about two months ago on the Bema seat of Christ, which is what we're talking about here. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We'll receive rewards or loss of rewards based on whether or not we've lived the higher Christian life, a life totally sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ, a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we are successful in this trek with Christ. Paid the price, had the desire, no matter what. Counted the cost. Therefore, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him, not only for the benefits of that intimacy with him here, but also because there'll be a time of reward where we will re receive from him the things that we have done in the body, the things that he has done through us in the flesh while we've been on earth. It's like all these testimonies that I've been sharing with you over the last week and a half of these normal men who did extraordinary things because they let the Holy Spirit move through them. D.L. Moody, that famous quote of his, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man and to a man and for a man totally consecrated to him. And with God's help, I will be that man. This statement, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. The question, why? For what reason should I make that the aim of my life? I mean, shouldn't I make the aim of my life money, myself, my riches, just everything all about me? Answer, 2 Corinthians 5.10. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, what God has done through you, whether good or bad. Let me close by just sharing this with you if I can. There are so many things that we can place our ambition and aim on. Some are self-serving, like money and fame and pleasure and popularity and pride, acceptance and independence and self-sufficiency and however we want to define happiness, whatever puts a smile on our face. We naturally look at those as negative. But there are some pursuits that seem nobler in nature, like a life devoted to helping others, to ministry, to giving money away, to supporting charities, to serving, to to living for other people, for raising godly children and being the best employee and employer and husband and wife and father and son and daughter we could possibly be. Those are noble pursuits time-honored attributes that a generally accepted good person would do. Those are the good things. But if you're not careful, a life devoted to good things will rob you of the best things. And a life devoted to good attributes, applauded by our culture, is not the life that leads to the higher Christian life. That comes from a submission, a yielding, a surrendering, an abandonment of self so that the Holy Spirit can live through you and accomplish through you the very attributes we try to do ourselves. When we do it ourselves, we get the glory. When he does it, he gets the glory in his strength. Like in John 15, we just stay connected to the vine because without him, we can do nothing. So how does it end up? What's the final benefit for a narcissistic society like we are today? What's in it for me? 2 Corinthians 2, 9. Listen carefully. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared. That's prior knowledge, prior work, already accomplished. God has prepared for those who love him, who are well-pleasing to him, who are acceptable to him, whose aim is him. Let me encourage you, if you believe that statement is true, it's just all the more reason to devote your life to him in a more passionate, intimate way than you ever have before, to yield it all to the power of the Holy Spirit, surrendering your will, your mind, your volition, your emotions, your rights to him, and let him do things for you that are absolutely beyond comprehension. I hope this has encouraged you today and spurred you on towards Christ's likeness to make the right decision when God brings you in that crisis in your life of total commitment. Hope it's been a blessing. We'll talk again tomorrow. Have a great day.